1: Welcome to Coffee House Shots, I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by two of my favourite editors uh, Fraser Nelson of The Spectator and my boss and uh, Paul Goodman of Conservative Home as well Obviously the big story of today is the sensational news that uh, Nicola Sturgeon's home has been raided with her husband Peter Murrell, the former chief executive arrested We're obviously a bit constrained to what we can say about this story due to Scotland's slightly different con- contempt of court laws but Fraser, talk us through what we know so far well, we know that the, the arrest was made this morning. That itself was quite
2: something. I mean, it's been said for some time that police might want to investigate Peter Marle or talk to him in relation to this, this ongoing um, investigation that they've been doing. Now, this, obviously, the timing of this matters. Was this a factor in Nicola Surgeon's decision, decision to stand down? And what might the election have changed direction had this happened four weeks earlier? We need to remember, of course, that Kate Forbes came very close 48% of the vote to winning against Hamza Youssef, who was billed as a continuity candidate. Now, being the continuity candidate might have been a good thing at the beginning, but it got significantly shiftier. Over the rest of the campaign, where Merle had to resign as SNP chief executive midway through that campaign, but then again, a lot of the postal voting had happened right at the start. So by the time and the Merle quit, and that uh, that was over a cover up over a decline in SNP uh, membership numbers, nothing criminal about that, but still pretty scandalous. Um, it probably wasn't. It was probably too late to change the vote. But had he actually been arrested, Nicola Sturgeon's husband and the SNP chief executive, that would have had political ramifications. Um, Now, the other thing which strikes me is just the sheer scenes that we've seen today. Now we know that police in London about 15 years ago did do um, raids on people's houses during the cash for honours investigation but typically then they would knock on people's door quite early, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning and they would do quite often their subjects felt they were treated quite roughly by the police but what we didn't have was really any photographers outside anybody's house any pictures of a suspects um, being put through any discomfort and that's why the police do raids at this time Time. This time, today, we've seen police going in broad daylight into the SP headquarters, been erecting a massive tent outside Nicholas Sturgeon and Peter Murrell's house. And we've seen throughout the day clips of um, policemen looking inside a barbecue, coming out of their van with, with spades. I'm struggling to think of the last time where we saw not just in Britain, but in any sort of Western democracy, such scenes outside a recently departed leader's house. So uh, I've got absolutely nobody's got any idea w- what is going on. And um, even, if, even if we did have ideas, one would not and could not speculate such as the contempt of court rules. But I think we can talk about the scenes and just how deeply unusual it is. And what I do, though, I'll say one final thing on this, just to give our lawyers some <laughs> easy time. As an editor, I deal quite a lot with these contempt of court issues. We don't have freedom of speech protection in this country. When Trump got arrested in America, anybody can say whatever they want about him. In the UK, we've got a rather strange system where um, people cannot say what they want, lest one of the jurors reads it or listens to it in a podcast and this influences their view. Now, this is fine for most for for a vast majority of, of criminal cases. But are we really going to not talk about this? For months ahead, I've got absolutely no idea what yes. happened. But well, but, but, I mean, the, the time for from charge to trial in this country it takes quite some time. Now I've got absolutely no idea if he's going to be charged, but if it is going to be, it might be difficult. I think to constrain what was be said during an election campaign. And, or also, to stop from very important questions that will be raised about the timetable of police investigation, about the nature of it, and about the allegations of impropriety, which a lot of people will have. So it's difficult to, I think, balance the contempt of court rules, which are, you know, not a problem 99.9% of the time, with this very particular case where we've got such a spectacular example of a police investigation and an arrest at a time where the stakes could not be higher for the country with the general election perhaps just months away.
1: Uh, Paul, in his answer there, Fraser mentioned about the separate case that's going on currently with uh, President Trump. You've been following this with interest. What are your thoughts on all of this? And it's quite a sensational court appearance uh, late last night. On the Trump appearance. Mm.
0: What interested me about the Trump experience really was this, that if you look at this as a Brit, not usually fully understanding American politics, let alone American law, you become vaguely but partially aware that there are a whole list of things Trump could be charged with you start with this business of the ex-porn actress. You go through the fact that he may or may not be charged in relation to having state documents at home. Finally, you read that he may also be charged in relation to the riotous protest uh, outside the Capitol shortly after the last presidential election. So the more you brood on this, if you do as an outsider, the more you see this is vast potential for different sorts of legal action in the American system. And... I feel somehow there's a sort of warning here for us, which is that it isn't clear in a, in America to a certain kind of British eye where law ends and politics mm-hmm. begins, where politics ends and law begins. That hasn't really been the case here traditionally. But if you look at a lot of what's happened since Brexit, if you look at the difficult relationship between bits of civil servant and the civil service in the government, if you look back to the prorogation case. Mm-hmm. On Brexit. If you listen to ministers complain endlessly about judicial review, if you listen to barristers and lawyers complaining endlessly about ministers, you become aware this is also becoming an issue for us about where power lies, where law ends and politics begins.
1: And I feel in my bones, that it doesn't bode well. Yeah, and you think about all those sort of cases involving the Good Law Project, for instance, over COVID and pandemic and the contracts.
2: Well, I think in this country, the, the political aspect is this, that sometimes you will get, you know, a, a relatively minor offence. I mean, let's take hacking, for example. When I say minor, when you actually look at the convictions that came after the biggest police investigation history, there weren't very many of them. And then we've got cash for honours as well. But the police feel, they feel very Exposed, They feel they have to investigate this absolutely thoroughly because they're terrified of being accused of not investigating it for political reasons. So they feel that the safe thing to do is to absolutely throw the book at it. And so you can end up with this debacle that we had which, uh, with them, with the hacking, where you had that massive Scotland Yard investigation um, and then and then we found out that it was just out of all proportion to the criminality involved. But all the time there were words used like "justice itself is on trial." That this will see if the police is capable of holding the powerful to account. So I think the um, and Paul's right in saying that in Britain we don't have you know we don't have, n- nobody is elected to to investigative or judicial. You know we don't have special prosecutors. We don't have any of that stuff here. We're usually quite good at having a legal system and a policing system that withstands political pressure. But I would say there's been a big wobble in recent years. Tom Watson found out just how much mileage you can get by accusing, for example, the Crown Prosecution Service of being politically soft. And you end up with Keir Starmer, who was the one who basically famously changed the advice on on hacking um, and came up with a new interpretation of the law to say that hacking voicemails that had already been listened to was actually illegal rather than legal, which had previously been the consideration. Now, you couldn't get a more sort of politically loaded decision than that. And where did the CPS director, Keir Starmer, end up as leader of the Labour Party? So we are beginning to align these two now. Not a direction I think is um, particularly welcome.
1: On a different note, I mean, Fraser, you were today tweeting from the Spectator Data Hub the uh, figures which showed a huge drop in the arrivals from Albania in terms of the small boat crossings. And Paul, you were having a conversation with someone who confirmed that this this data is being widely read within government.
0: Yes, just quickly, I just want to, um, without troubling the Spectator's lawyers, just come back on what Fraser said about what's happened today, and contempt of court. I just want to point out that uh, with social media and all that, it's going to be very hard to contain this conversation.
2: Because I think what you and I know, because we're paid journalists, that there are huge limits on what we can say. So before anybody listens to this podcast, we're going to give it to our lawyers. They're going to go through every word very nervously. But your average punter, who might have thousands of followers, just sees this investigation and will not hold back. Therefore, it could...
0: Actually, in a way, be more difficult for the SNP having this draconian system than otherwise, because in this scarcely regulated or badly regulated space, social media, all sorts of stuff will be flying around that, you know, will be beyond the reach of uh, the, the spectators, lawyers um, and, and perhaps anyone else's. So on Albania, um, I saw I uh, item today about data and um um, the returns to Albania. And a question that arose from it is, hey, why isn't the government publicising this? This is a success for them, after all. Why, why is it left to the editor of The Spectator? to so go through the data and find the facts. And just by coincidence, I gather recently that you know, the government know perfectly well that they're doing quite well in in returns to albania but there's a diplomatic issue here which is that the albanian government are not very keen on having their population represented here as as containing any undesirables so if it's raised by ministers they will get kicked back from the albanian government which ministers are very concerned about probably doesn't bother fraser too much <laughs>
2: but you can see obviously this good relationship with Albania is crucial for Rishi Sunak It was a breakthrough for him to be able to say, right, from now on there are going to be weekly deportations. Because if you're an Albanian wanting to get to Britain, all of a sudden it's a waste of your three thousand pounds. If there's a reasonable chance you're gonna end up back to square one.
0: Yes, he, he they woke up the Albanians going off in a half, so to speak. Uh, and suddenly, ma- suddenly suddenly, making this progress uh, more difficult or reversing it.
1: And I mean, today talking about migrants, I mean, Stella Brafman's plan to have a barge in Dorset has fo- sort of fierce opposition from the local mayor, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. Paul, I mean, you were an MP, obviously. You yeah. knew what it's like to defend your patch. What would your sort of advice be to the government sort of going through all of this? Because everyone wants to get, you know, sort of deport migrants here illegally, but no one wants to have the... Yeah, yeah, the let, let me start the conversation
0: I had last week with a Conservative MP in a marginal seat uh, who has... People who've arrived on boats in hotels in his seat. He said, "Look, in terms, my colleagues in safer seats," and he didn't name them. He was clearly thinking of you know, Edward Lee in Lincolnshire, Prissy Patel, you know for the Home Secretary was in charge of all this in Essex and James Cleverly had next door. He basically said, "They're going to have to take the pain. They are in very safe seats. They're not going to lose them. Whereas we are really feeling the pain over people in hotels, and it drives." are voters nuts. And I think if you're an MP, of course you go out and you make the case for your constituents. But I wonder what the MPs who are doing it really think in their hearts of hearts. Because if you're going to get people out of hotels and to put them into special accommodation, you know, former military accommodation or whatever, they are going to have to go somewhere. And that means some MP somewhere is going to have to take the pain and usually... Whatever reason, the, the, the bigger facilities in the bigger rural areas are represented by Conservatives.
1: And talking about sharing that pain, of course, on a sort of final note, we've got the big uh, battle tomorrow, the Battle of Waterlooville, as we see Suella Bravman coming up against Flick Drummond for the battle to retain the seat. Talk us through the dynamics of this contest and, um, you know, what the likely outcome could be. Just
0: standing back from it, there was a wave of original reporting about Deselections, or if I'm going to be a bit technical about it, non adoptions by association executives. And it, you know, it was suggested in certain courses that there was a sort of wave of reaction by Boris Johnson sympathizers within the Conservative Party and the Conservative Democratic movements flexing its muscles and all that. This has turned out so far to have no basis in the evidence. What has been happening? Is that for a whole series of idiosyncratic reasons, executives have been deciding that they don't want to select their local member of parliament. In most in some cases so far, that's been overturned by association ballots. So this brings me to Suella Brotherman and the Battle of of, of Waterlooville, as it's called. Look, we'll have to see what happens tonight. There's really no way of knowing a lot has been written about Flick Drummond being the favourite for the selection. Mm. We'll find out whether that's true or not. But we we have to think what what happens if Flick Drummond is selected. Everyone wants to know what will happen to the Home Secretary. The Home Secretary will have to look for another seat. My understanding is that she will be entitled to go on the short list of any seat in the area where there's a vacancy. So
2: tonight we'll find out whether that's going to happen or not. Um, But do you know think, though? Say she wasn't selected. Wouldn't the Tory hierarchy find a way of... There might not be such a thing as a Tory safe seat at the moment, but wouldn't they just find something for it? It doesn't matter where it was. It could be locally. It could be the other end of the country. They'd, They'd sort her out
0: almost certainly there's some way of moving something behind the scenes to try and do that but it's slightly awkward because at, at the end of the day you've got to go in front of a meeting with members that's that's the rule and the members have to vote so it, it's a question of finding somewhere that will work for her and it's hard to believe there won't be somewhere even if it isn't this area in in, in Waterlooville where we read there's an element of class war in that it is the better off, more middle-class, more Remaini-flavoured mm. wetter Tories who don't want her, uh, you know, maybe you'll
2: be able to find a seat where there are not so many of them. I remember when this happened with Gordon Brown and Lewis Mooney, and basically Lewis Mooney was said, right, there you go, has the Lords to you, mate? And off he went. So surprised we're not seeing him sending Flick Drummond off to the Lords. Yeah, well, that doesn't
0: seem to be... <laughs> we'll find out tonight. I think I'm right in saying that um, for Flick Drummond this is the place where she can go. Mm. Um, and if she can't get in there,
1: that's it. Whereas Suella Breverman, if she can't get there mm. tonight, will be off on her travels, we we'll assume. We look forward to finding out. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.